Welcome, listeners, to www.ironradio.org, the website and podcast for all things strength sports and sports nutrition. With your hosts, Lonnie Lowry. Remember, Phil is like a gnarled old oak tree held together with scar tissue and bone spurs. Rob Fortney. And I'm telling you, the pain that I would suffer was beyond excruciating. And Phil Stevens. Do it, Rob. You'll kill all those nerves. Thanks for listening. Christmas. This is Dr. Lonnie Lowry. I'm a licensed nutritionist. I'm a sports nutrition exercise physiology professor of about 15 years, and I'm a former competitive bodybuilder. Hey, Merry Christmas also. It's Dr. Mike T. Nelson. I'm the owner of Extreme Human Performance, teach for Globe University, and on the editorial board for Strong Magazine, which actually I've been doing for a while, but I figured I'd throw that in there. <laughs> cool. Yeah, we're mixing it up today. Yeah, that's right. Variety. Um, we have a community episode on this holiday weekend, everyone. Uh, I want to start with some thank yous to everyone um, from the seasonal contest. It's sort of a review and tweet social media drive kind of thing. But uh, these are, so this is a mix of people who have either uh, sent a donation or made some tweets on our behalf and that, those sorts of things. Mostly, this is, a, as I'm looking at it, mostly a list of donors. But So thank you to the following people, and one or two I may have mentioned already. But Jennifer, thank you. Always thank you. Uh, Merrick, David, uh, ongoing supporter, very appreciated. Uh, John, uh, another John, spelled differently. Jarrett, uh, who is going to influence our news today a little bit. Chris, Nathan, uh, Brittany, and Cassie. Th- thank you to all of you. That's not a comprehensive list. I know we also have ongoing supporting members, uh, and you are not forgotten. In fact, I've been thinking about working on some stuff in 2017 just to thank you. Like, uh, maybe Dr. Nelson and I can do a little exploration uh, yeah. side project of like um, something like low carb versus low fat dieting or you know something that might be of interest uh, and just send you some free info yeah so thank you very much for all the support that's that's awesome it is it is I, I, the sense of community that we can build I think online uh, is important I mean here in the greater Akron community you know um, you know sometimes I'll mention oh we just did an NSCA workshop down at the University of Akron or uh, you know, I'll talk about Pep. We had Pep Wall on one of our early episodes, actually, from Bodybuilders Gym in Akron, you know, those sorts of things. Yeah. And and Phil's got that community in Topeka, of course, because of Strength Guild. You know, we've had Dal Gaines on, and he's obviously, uh, there's a number of people down at Phil's gym uh, that are part of that community. So, you know, just, yeah, grateful for all these sorts of things. And, and again, crowdsourcing is is like a thing, right? So there's so much garbage on the internet. It's nice when someone says, hey, I found a study. What do you think? And then we can all sort of bounce it around from, you know, whether it's an academic or a coaching or even a journalistic uh, perspective. So so let's get to some of those things. That's what we're going to focus on today. Just uh, 
community in in the sense of males, uh, studies that were sent, those sorts of things. Let me start with Cassie. She uh, she said it was okay to mention this. She says, Dear Lonnie and the brains and bulk of Iron Radio, I wanted to thank you for the show. My ex-boyfriend introduced me to the show a few months ago, and I can't get enough. Luckily, there are six years to go through. Uh, <laughs> Super busy. <laughs> you know, yeah, Cassie, I think in total, we've got eight. Um, I'd have to go look. Yeah. I myself am a clinical exercise physiologist. Oh, nice. And I work in, cardio- in a cardiology office in addition to being a novice power lifter. Uh, I love the science behind the show and have even used it in making clinical recommendations to my patients. It's an easy way to keep up with the news and science for strength sports, especially since most of the research that crosses my desk uh, is for cardiac rehab and testing uh, as opposed to performance or recovery. I'm looking forward to my first meet in February. There we go. And, sh- and your show has helped me prepare a ton mentally. My personal circle does not include a lot of experienced powerlifters, so your experienced perspectives are really helpful. As a novice powerlifter, I was wondering what your workout uh, journals look like. Other than sets and reps, what kinds of notes and detail, and what role does technology play in that? Uh, are your lifting journals and food logs separate? Just wanted to say thanks for the show, Cassie from Boston. So, very nice. Yeah, very cool. Uh, I almost hesitate to ask you, <laughs> Doctor <laughs> Nelson, what you put in your journals. Um, do you go? I mean, because you use a lot of tech, probably. But I don't know. What do you do? Yeah, I actually do both. Actually, I'm I'm pulling up my uh, journal here. I do the the probably the only intelligent thing I ever did when I started list, lifting, other than the first year. I was actually writing stuff down, uh, probably because I've always been that analytical. Um, and so now what I do is I, when I go to the gym, I actually don't like a lot of technology. I actually want it to be as minimal as possible. Um, I mean, I'll use like a MP3 player, but I don't usually use my phone as that. I'll do measure some velocity stuff once in a while. Um, lately, I just got a newer watch. I had to turn in my old basis peak, so I got a Garmin one. And I do use that for heart rate once in a while <clears throat> and tracking times. Um, but that's about it. So I just write everything down in a old school journal. Then I come back and I will transfer most of that online just because it's easier to, to track and everything. So in the morning, I'll get up and do heart rate variability, that type of thing. And I'll write that down ahead of time. And then similar to what you've talked about in the past, too, I'll usually make a few notes related to nutrition stuff. I mean, it's nothing that's extremely accurate. It's just so that if I, you know, flip back several pages, I can kind of get a rough idea what I was doing. Mm-hmm. Um, any supplements I'm testing, if there's any you know, stimulants or nootropics or anything like that. Um, different types of warm-up routines I'll do. I've been doing more of the RPR, Reflexive Performance Reset lately, which has been pretty good. And then I'll just note the exercise I'm doing. I will record the sets and reps and weight. I also record the total time that it takes to do each individual exercise so oh. you can come up with a density mm-hmm. so volume divided by time and that's really about it and then over time what i like is i have the digital copy online that i can go back so the other day i started doing more deadlift stuff again and so you can look to see okay so i'm doing four inch blocks with 315 for reps of you know five you know, what is in the past, my 1RM based on my data, not necessarily an extrapolation chart. Okay. Um, so if you haven't done an exercise for a while, but you have a history with that exercise, 
Um, so I'm one of those goons that has stuff online since about 2011. I can get a pretty good idea of, you know, if I'm not working on, you know, singles or triples, hey, you know, what do I need to get to for a weight and approximate number of reps so that it'll probably transfer to a heavier load down the way. Gotcha. Um, yeah. So that's yeah. what I've used for that, which works well. I actually never thought about it, but you could this is going to sound so dorky, <laughs> but you can very easily in some of my stats programs use linear regression to point. I know you don't oh, like sure. linear modeling, but you know, like I, I could put in the last, just the last three or four workouts and say, mm -hmm. what am I going to bet max today? You know, or what, what, what am I going to be able to do today? And then with something like 95% probability, actually no. <laughs> but the problem is there's, there's too many variables. You know, that's only past performance as one variable. And it doesn't include nutrition and psychology and sleep and everything else. Yeah. You know, so in truth, it's almost impossible. But mathematically, if you want to put all your eggs in one basket, you could you could do that, I guess. And well, I like using it to give me a rough idea. So, like, I just started doing four-inch block poles again. So I wanted to, based on my past data, I wanted to get to, you know, this kind of old-school Bill Starr 5 by 5 So 25 reps with 315 is what I was using, mm -hmm. double overhand. And then once I got to that point, which I did the other day, now I'll actually start slowly increasing the weight to go back up. Since that number corresponded within plus or minus two weeks of what my max was in the past. Yeah, so. yeah. Uh, what else do I put in there? Uh, on, it's funny. I use a cash book. In fact, I'm looking at a pile. I was using them to put a lamp on. Uh, I have years of these cash books with notes. You know, and so I can go back and look on whether it's competition or uh, downtimes because of work. You know, there's so many different things. But um, on the left side, I put notes. And that might be how sore I am or something that I would think, you know, if I slept really badly. Um, I put down whatever relevant supplements I'm taking, sort of like what you do, Mike. Not by any stretch a, a log, just... Um, yeah, just notes so you have a rough idea where what you were doing. Right, you know, like you know, um, like right here, I'm just cracked this open randomly. Two ibuprofen. I took five fish oils uh, because I felt like I needed them. Uh, I took a half a caffeine tab pre workout. You know that kind of stuff. Uh, creatine, three grams morning coffee. I also put hunger and motivation on my notes page on the left side when I open my little cash book. So like this day, I was four out of seven for hunger and four out of seven for motivation to train. Uh, those things, to me, they give me some indication of how stressed I am or if I'm overdoing it for whatever reason. To be completely honest, it's sort of my post-competition years here, I'm, I'm usually not overtraining, but it does give me some sense about am I strung out because of work or, or something else. So I do hunger and motivation on a Likert-type scale. On the right side, I just do sets, reps, and weight, uh, and I do this religiously. I put the time that I went into the gym. I don't do individual times for uh, sets. That's a good idea. I have sort of fallen more and more into something I'll call Phil's concept, but it's very broad, actually, which is just getting your 25 reps in a target yeah. range. And I don't really care if I'm doing sets of five or eight, you know, frankly. Uh, or even 10, or, you know, a burnout set at the end with, with 15. Um, but I also put my RPE for the entire day uh, and the duration, like I said, total duration of the workout um, in my cash book here. So that's kind of how I do it. And then I could track over time, are those Likert-type numbers on hunger and motivation going up or down? Is my RPE um, 
am I trying hard enough? Or sometimes I'll put RPE and I'll, I'll sort of qualify it and say, my rate of perceived exertion today was very high because of fatigue. I'll just put parentheses fatigue, you know. Um, yeah, so those are good questions. I sure don't do a three-day diet record that much anymore, but if you're interested in doing that separately or analyzing it, I know there's, there's Fitbits and all kinds of things do this now, but um, there is a government database at myplate.gov. It's sort of the new, myplate is the food new food guide pyramid. If you're not familiar, they ditched the pyramid finally, but um, it's a free diet analyzer, and you can put in breakfast, lunch, dinner, and and track yourself and it's pretty cool so okay let's switch this back and forth i've got a couple um more listener mails here but mike i know you've got a couple yeah hey iron radio crew just wanted to write and say thanks for all that you do i have been lifting for a little over a year and the podcast has been invaluable in helping me navigate the sea of bro science as i continue to learn about lifting and nutrition mm. I am a physicist, and I really appreciate the critical eye with which you view present information while still making it straightforward and easy to understand. I especially like that you take time to clarify and scientifically proven differences between how men and women should approach different aspects of strength training and nutrition. Instead of Christmas, instead of gifts for this Christmas, my boyfriend and I are donating to and volunteering with organizations we care about and asking our family and friends to do the same. I was happy to take this opportunity to become a contributing member and spread the word about the podcast via Facebook and Twitter and give you guys a much-deserved five-star rating. Ooh. Keep up the great work, and I look forward to the informative and entertaining material that is sure to come in the next year. Signed, Brittany. Thank you, Brittany. That's really yeah, nice. That's yeah, that's awesome. Very cool. You know, Cassie and Brittany both. It's it's nice to have people that are uh, science minded. Not just, of course. It's it's great to have all kinds of perspectives. But that's um, yeah, that's fun that they they appreciate that sort of thing because I I could I don't want to speak for them, but I'm guessing sometimes the bro science will grate on them. Like, oh God, that's not how that works, or that's not evidence. <laughs> What? <laughs> you know, <laughs> stuff like that. So, good stuff. Yeah. Uh, let me fire one. I'm going to leave this anonymous, uh, longtime listener of the show, and I really appreciate my banter with this gentleman back and forth. He says, always a pleasure. Uh, keep the caffeine research coming my way, because sometimes I'll send some stuff. So, you know who you are already. Uh, he says, I'm 50 in March. Uh, I was doing CrossFit for a while. Um, I still am for metabolic conditioning, but I have a different, uh, well, a real goal. Currently bouncing back from a two-month layoff because of, you just said work, kids, life, middle-aged guy, etc., you know, uh, overworked, I guess. Uh, let me lay out where I am and my goals, and you can tell me if I'm being reasonable to hit this year's goals by year to end. Okay. So he gives some squat, uh, dead um press overhead press i think and bench numbers so uh he's got a goal here his goals this year exceed his previous maximum okay so his previous like his prs happened about two years ago uh so just to keep this simplified just know that his previous maxes are not as high as these new goals okay so right now he's squatting 285 
and he wants to hit 405 in the squat by the end mm. of 2017. So that's, in my opinion, that's pretty lofty. Um, he hasn't gotten w- within, you know, 30 pounds of that in the past. Uh, so I will say this about squats. Uh, Rob and I used to say this all the time. There is straight up legitimate, maybe three or four guys in any given gym. Certainly you can count on one hand the number of guys in any gym who can legitimately squat 405. Oh, yeah. Four plates on a side is heroic, and I just want you to know that. Uh, I think he does. Uh, So if you're going to go from 285 up to that, I I would think that might be a little high, uh, but who knows because you have been over 350 before in your squat. Um, he, he gives some deadlift numbers. It's harder for me to comment on the deadlift numbers. My dead sucks. <laughs> so he wants his dead 495 by the end of the year, uh, currently at 315. Um, mm-hmm. and then Does it say um, what his past was in the deadlift. Uh, yeah, he got up to 405. Oh, okay. So, yeah. So, yeah. you know, again, he's trying to exceed his past numbers. His bench press is currently 175, but he's done two and a quarter in the past. Uh, and he wants to bench 275. So he wants to put 100 pounds on his bench. I don't know. Um, let, let me finish this off just quickly. He says, uh, I did the Wendler 531 in the past with decent results, bought starting strength and thought about that instead. Any advice would be appreciated. Thanks in advance. Um, and then I'm doing this anonymously, so I'll just I'll just note, too, that um, he's familiar with uh, – androgen replacement therapy and that sort of stuff all above board you know but being a middle-aged guy i i don't um i don't see any problem with that at all in fact that's probably very helpful uh for for this sort of thing i won't go into the details on that but uh yeah so we have a guy with um let, we'll just say he's got legitimate you know physiological level hormonal support he's had some good numbers in the past he's a bright guy educated and he knows what he's doing do you think he could go from 285 in the squat to 405, or do you think he could put 100 pounds on his bench? Uh, I think it's possible. I mean, it's it's one of those hard conversations you have with clients because you don't want to piss on their leg and tell them it's raining. <laughs> right? right, yeah. You don't want to talk them out of their goals, but you also kind of want to be sort of realistic. Um, so the conversations I have with people then is like, okay, so I think the whole goal setting and stuff tends to be a little bit more overrated. I think I view it more as what is your intention and what is your direction, right? So if you're telling me that you want to increase basically your deadlift, your squat and your bench, then cool. We know what direction to go and we know what lifts to focus on. So let's kind of start moving in that direction and then let's kind of see where you end up, right? Cause it's, you know, the old quote is it's prediction is very difficult, especially about the future, right? The Neil Spohr quote. Um, so that's kind of what I would do. The other part, too, is that you may kind of have to decide at some point which one do you want to specialize on for a period of time. You know, since he's kind of regaining some older strength, you know, you could probably do all three at the same time. And, and granted, there's tons of power lifters who train using, you know, DUP and different types of splits where they're really focusing on all three lifts. It's a good point. And you can make progress, you know, on all three. But I think at some point it's it's rare that I've seen people get to a higher level 
by making progress at the same rate on bench, squat, and deadlift. So maybe usually make, make one his just, baby. Is that what you're saying? Yeah, yeah, yeah. It just seems like one of them is going to go down, and the other two are going to go up, right? And sometimes squat and deadlift kind of follow each other, and sometimes they're opposites and that type of thing. So once that starts happening, then you have the discussion of okay. You want to focus on, you know, one with a little bit more emphasis for a period of time and then kind of rotate back to the other ones. Yeah. Yeah, that's good advice. What's your thoughts? Uh, my thoughts are, are, I think, similar. I just took a different approach. When I was back in grad school, I was in a behavior modification class, and I think that influenced this. Um, in fact, I might have even put this in that protein book Um Oh, yeah. on some level just to sort of formalize it. But I used to draw a block arrow up a sheet of paper. I would put where I am at the bottom, and I would do it with body weight uh, because I wanted to crash through some barriers. But you could very easily do this with weight on the bar. But I would put my, where I am at the bottom, and then I would put my goal at the top. Now, this is important. Whatever goal I chose for myself at the top, I would take 20% off of it and make that the sort of the goal and then my original thought was would become a stretch goal if that makes any sense so for example he wants to put 100 pounds on his bench press um that would be a stretch goal but the real goal would just be 80 pounds on top of what he's currently doing if that makes any sense and the reason i would yeah. take that 20 percent off is because it helps with realism and it helps with uh, that cycle of dominance that fortress used to talk about it helps guarantee success you know, and then you're like, hey, I met the goal. Now I'm after the stretch goal. And then you're just feeling like a stud, you know. So um, when I would make that block arrow, though, then I would cut it in half midway up the page. And that would be halfway to that 80-pound gain. So it would be 40 pounds above my baseline. And then I would, all, I would cut a, in half again the top part of the arrow and the bottom part of the arrow, if you can visualize this. So I would have quarter goals. So now I've got goals. So let's say you've got a whole year. This arrow is a year. The middle of the arrow is six months. And then you've also got these little three-month minor tick marks. And those are very helpful to me. Uh, and you could keep cutting that in half, dividing it in half, you know, to get finer and finer uh, granularity on the arrow. Uh, and it helps keep you on track, right? So like if you're not 40 pounds heavier on your bench press by six months, you're doing something wrong. You need to readjust your course because you're not going to make your 80 pound goal, right? So, you know, that kind of stuff. So, yeah, so that would be my tip um, for this gentleman is shave 10 or 20% off of your goal. Make what your goal on, on this email, the stretch goal, make your official goal, like you could feel good about 20% less or so. And then do that arrow chart and keep, you know, again, cutting it in half so you can you can get um, short-term goals met and know that you're on track, you know. so. Yeah, I like that. And one other quick thing, too, is that what I'll do is take something similar to what you have there. And then on a day-by-day -day or week-by-week -week basis, especially if I have clients that are really busy, then we'll map out what are the behaviors that drive those goals and that the completion of the behaviors is the main thing they're quote unquote graded on. I love it. Right. Yep. So yep. that's, you know, getting to the gym, it's getting your protein, sleep, recovery, whatever. Right. Because one, those are the things that you can physically control. And then if you're doing all of those, we know, okay, yeah, you're, you're knocking it out of the park and all those. And, you know, maybe you're behind on your, performance goal a little bit 
that tells me, okay, let's let's try a slightly different approach. You know, where if you're hitting those at like 60%, it's like, well, I don't know. Maybe everything is perfect and we just need more execution. You know, so it allows you to uh, figure out what it is. And then it also allows them to work on the things that they can control. Because you could do theory that perfect bench press program and maybe only put 30 pounds on your bench press in, you know, a year or whatever, right? It's, we've seen all the research on, you know, extreme responders and, you know, there's two bastards at the bottom who got worse <laughs> on a program. And yeah, yeah, <laughs> it's just highly variable and you don't have as much direct control on that, but you can control the habits that drive those. Yep. That's great. I love it. Okay. Um, now you have another one, don't you? Yep, I got uh, one more I'll throw in here, a real short one. So I wanted to say congrats to my online client, Wendy, who's probably listening. Um, she did a powerlifting meet recently and got second in the women's master's division. Ooh. And yeah, it was awesome. It was her very first meet. I just helped her with some nutrition stuff. So she met weight right exactly where she needed to be. And yeah, she did great. So I was very impressed by that. And she said it was fun and she'd consider doing one again in the future. So if women are out there and they're over 40, it's never too late and you can still do your first meet. No problem. Right. Walk the path of the warrior, baby. Yeah. I like yeah. it. Yeah. So mad congrats to Wendy. She did awesome. Got a question here. I didn't get the name, so it'll be anonymous for now. But he says, I got some bands and chains, mostly because they looked fun and were on sale. That's why I end up with a lot of stuff, too. <laughs> um, uh, they are, and they work great for applying accommodating resistance to lifts with an ascending strength curve. For example, the squat, press, etc. But what about lifts with a descending strength curve, such as a pull-up or a bent-over row, or a bell-shaped strength curve, such as a curl? Is it possible to apply accommodating resistance to match these strength curves? A row that gets harder at the bottom where I'm strongest sounds fun. Uh, the only option I can think of is machines with variable diameter cams, but I can't afford those for my basement gym. Considering the strength curve of a lift is a new idea to me, so I thought I'd ask the grizzled veterans for ideas. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Ooh. I <laughs> uh, appreciate any insight you guys can offer. Keep up the great work. So I'll, I'll hand this over to you first, Lonnie, and then I'll give some comments. Since we're the grizzled old veterans. Right, all right, Dr. Grizzled. this, you know, uh, <laughs> collagen and duct tape holding us together that, or something. That's right. <laughs> you know, I think that one was from Scott, if I remember right. Uh, I can tell you, from the bodybuilder perspective, this is a cop-out, but I, if I really wanted to mess with the strength curve and accommodating resistance, I would use machines, like, for finishing work in some way, Um and again, I don't know if I'd make it my major list, but the cool thing about machines is, if you've ever noticed, they don't just have a circular cam. It can be shaped like a Nautilus, right? Hence the name, or an oval. And then what it does is it actually moves the force arm. Um, it changes it from the fulcrum of the joint. So mid-range in a biceps curl, for example, it's actually harder than it would be in the bottom of the movement. You know, so And again, because that could limit your movement, right? If you can't start a curl in the bottom, well, you won't get a rep. So it's a little easier in the bottom, but then as that cam rotates the chain away from your elbow, you know, like mid-range, it actually creates 
a, a larger force arm and it's, it, it's a resistance arm, right? And it makes it harder in the middle. So sometimes those cams on machines can be really quite clever. Um, lots of machines have different patents as far as how they apply, you know, variable resistance throughout a rep. I mean, honestly, things like bands and chains are usually making things uh, harder at the top, you know, like when he was talking about like with a in a squad or a bench, you know, it's making it harder uh, once you have some leverage near the lockout sort of thing. Uh, as of course, as the heavy links of the chain come off the floor, it gets heavier and heavier as you go upward in the squat. Same thing with the tension on a band. Uh, I, you know, I get that. Um, but if I really wanted to play with resistance curves, I might actually turn to the technology. There's some very cool equipment, but of course, not everybody can do that. Right, and uh, th this is one of the reasons I thought you might want to take this one, Mike, because this is, seems right up your alley. <laughs> yeah, so I have a whole bunch of chains and a bunch of different bands, and I played around attaching them to a whole bunch of different things. I, a couple months ago, I was playing with a deadlift, and I'm like, huh. So if my deadlift always kind of pulls me over in front, can I use a heavier, I should say a lighter bar weight, but somehow weight more of the load on the front so i don't think i would recommend this quite yet but i put a bunch of chains on the bar and then i attached a kettlebell to the front <laughs> um that got some lifters were like freaking out going, that's the stupidest thing i've ever seen <laughs> but it felt pretty good because now you've got just this weird load that really wants to just rip you forward right so you have to you know, pull back against it. Um, I played around with chains on different exercises, like he had mentioned there, with different strength curves. And I don't know, like for me personally, I don't feel that much of a difference. I think kind of the, the classic ways of using them seems to be a little bit better. Um, I do think it is kind of fun for just variety and something different. So I have used them more, like you were saying, Lonnie, on just accessory type lifts, just I don't know. There's just something cool about putting chains on just about anything. <laughs> yeah, I agree. It's fun. Um, it's just fun. And it just makes it fun. I mean, even like he had mentioned curls and that type of thing. Um, one thing I played around with for a couple of years now, and they have actually bars like the tsunami bars where you can, um, the bar will actually blend and flex a lot, but you can recreate this a little bit by taking bands and hang weights off of the end of them. So you're trying to push something that's trying to bounce around and move on you. Um, I find that's kind of fun. And I find for accessory work, that's pretty good. So doing like a press with that type of thing. Uh, there's even devices you can get that'll do that for you now. Um, I also like doing them with uh, moving exercises. So I'll take uh, like a zercher, like a zercher squat where you're holding it in the crooks of your elbows. And then I'll hang light uh, kettlebells off the end, off of bands. So now the person has to walk while holding the bar in front and their elbows and the kettlebells are bouncing around oh on my. both sides and stuff. <laughs> it's brutal. Creative. Because <laughs> um, even a lightweight, because now when you're walking, they're going, you know, kind of all directions and that kind of stuff. Um, so that kind of stuff is kind of fun. Um, but yeah, I would say just, you know, grab a bunch, play around with it. Um, you know, stuff like pull-ups and chin-ups that, most people I find, myself included, are just so weak at the top. I don't know if it's really going to add much. Um, but a version I stole from uh, Max Shank years ago is he'll set it up so that you have a lighter weight or people who are pretty advanced at a pull-up or chin-up. 
and he'll put a band around at the bottom so that you can play with a lot more resistance at the top and then do like kind of isometric holds, things of that nature. Right, yes. You, yeah, so if you got someone who's, you know, they can crank out a whole bunch of chins, but you tell them to stop and hold it up by their collarbone and they fail miserably, that, you know, they're probably a little bit weaker there, so you can play around with uh, overloading there. And then the yeah, last thing, like you said, Lonnie, because I'm teaching biomechanics actually next quarter again. So similar example I use for students all the time is, if you've done just a lot of old school straight weight, like go to your gym and actually just play with a cable machine. They're like, what? Because like you were saying with a simple, you know, bicep curl, you know, at the top when you're looking at just using a barbell because of the angle, you know, it's, it's pretty easy to hold, right? Anyone who's done a curl, yeah, I can hold it at the top. It's pretty easy. But now try to hold the top with a cable attachment, especially with a low pulley. And you find there's a lot more force because you're using the the cable in that position. Yeah. Um, so I think even if people just add in some cable work for their accessory stuff, um, they'll find that it's if they're not used to it, it's a little bit harder than what they figured it would be. Yeah. It's almost. In in fact, I'm glad you weren't born in the dark ages, Mike, because a lot of these <laughs> things are they're almost torture. Like you're you're devising like how do I brutalize myself or the client maximally. <laughs> And whether you're engineering the cam on a on, on a device, you're hanging kettlebells off of things. It's just it's just funny. You're, these are all ways like how can I maximally punish <laughs> the muscle? You know, it's just funny. But pretty much, yeah. The the kettlebell thing came about this is years ago because I was doing zurchers and I'm like, oh my god, a zurcher squat sucks. Well, how do you make it worse? Well, let's see if I can walk with it, make right? It the old school strongman stuff. <laughs> and then I'm like, okay. So what if I could walk with something that moves around as I'm trying to walk with it and moves more the faster I walk? Oh, I'll just hang kettlebells with bands off the end of a bar. <laughs> That's insane. Insane. Yeah. Uh, let me Before we go to break, let me revisit one thing because you touched on it. Um, if you don't have access to machines and fancy technology sorts of things, uh, just isometric pushes in sticking points. It's just so fun sometimes to mix yeah. things up. You know, like you could set a, a a power rack just you know with a right just at the right like let's say your sticking point in the middle of your bench. You could put an immovable weight on there. Like let's say you put four oh five on there. You know you're not going to be able to unrack that. And try you know just do maximal isometrics uh, in certain portions of your range of motion. Uh, that way you can work on where you're weak. And that that's kind of stuff is fun, too. Yeah, and last thing I would agree with that, you can do uh, like a pin press, right? So I'll take even an unloaded bar, maybe have a bottom pin and a top pin. Um, so that way, one, you don't have to load any weight. And then two, they don't have the sort of visual thing of them failing at a weight. Oh, but yeah, it's the same yeah. idea. Yeah. Um, and the last thing, too, with the, the cables, if you don't have access to cables, you can rig up bands in all sorts of ways. And they're kind of like a poor man's cable, right? Because bands, like, as you mentioned, will actually get harder towards the end, uh, which is a little bit different than using a chain. All right, we are going to go to break, everybody. We come back. We've got yet more mail and um, studies, including what I promised last week, some stuff from John and Jarrett on um, – <laughs> there was a cocky comment on Twitter, like, protein causes cancer with a question mark. And <laughs> so uh, we'll be back in just a bit and tackle that.
Hey listeners, this is Dr. Lonnie Lowry. If you've ever had anyone critique you uh, on your protein intake as part of your weightlifting lifestyle, oh, you poor meathead, all that extra protein is going to rot your kidneys or weaken your bones or dehydrate you or give you gout or who knows what. Uh, there is a book available. You could simply Google CRC Press and Lowry. And what I've done is reach out to experts all over the world and create a book, a single compendium that you can hold up and say, this is why I consume extra protein. This can be very valuable when you're um, being quote unquote educated uh, by various professionals on the topic. Uh, there's enormous amount of literature in this book on the safety uh, the effectiveness, how protein works in cells, the history of protein and weight trainers, uh, much more. So again, please check out CRC Press and Protein and Lowry. You can just Google that. And uh, I do, full disclosure, I do make a small single digit uh, royalty on the book, but that's not why I did it. I did it so we can all have something, uh, our particular population, uh, to both defend what we do and to inform our nutrition and our eating. Thanks. Fall and soon winter will be upon us. As the holidays approach and your thoughts turn to giving, please consider your friends here at ironradio.org. Over the past several years, there have been hundreds of listener comments hoping that Iron Radio stays on the air for years to come. Iron Radio is here for you. But as with any public radio type format, the show is listener supported. That's where you come in. For just $4 per month, you can become a supporting member keeping your weekly dose of education, experts, and gym talk flowing. Just go to www.ironradio.org and click on the $4 monthly subscribe button near the bottom of the page, or click the donate button at the right of the page for a one-time donation. You are the Iron Brotherhood and Sisterhood. Thanks for helping to create a place for better internet programming for all strength and muscle sports, and Happy Holidays! Hi, this is Dr. Lonnie Lowry, and on behalf of Phil and Rob, I'd just like to let listeners know that if you love us or you hate us, we'd like you to leave a comment or perhaps vote for us on iTunes. It helps us out quite a bit on the popularity side of things. Uh, you can also follow uh, Dr. Lowry, me, on Twitter. Uh, it's Lawnman7 on Twitter if you want to do that. We also have a Facebook page, the Iron Radio uh, listeners page. So uh, whether it's leaving a comment or voting for us or following us on Twitter or Facebook, uh, that would be fantastic. Also, uh, occasionally Rob or myself will write an article for another website and Phil will as well. So lots of ways to um, interact, uh, follow us in other media and vote for us and uh Keep things going strong on Iron Radio. Thanks. Like your weekly fix of Iron Radio? In addition to being a popular institute on iTunes, we are also on email. Simply go to www.ironradio.org and sign up for the voluntary email. You'll get a once-per-week email, no more, that's little more than the show notes and a link to the audio. So go for it. Okay, happy holidays, everybody. 
we're back. It's Doctors Nelson and Lowry, and we are continuing uh, looking at comments and studies from the community, that sort of thing. Um, this first one I want to address is from Rob, uh, not Rob Fortney, but uh, he says, "Hey guys, love the show. Been listening for about a year. I recently fell behind and have been slowly catching up, and I just finished the recent episode on supplements. I mostly work out in the morning." So I just use coffee as a pre-workout, but on certain days I can only make it at night. I try to switch it up on those days with a store-bought pre-workout, but after that episode, I would like to look into making my own. Would appreciate if you could hit me back with some ideas or an article to steer me in the right direction. Also keep in mind that I am currently six foot seven, 290 pounds. Oh, so Rob's a big dude. Yeah, a very big dude. Uh, <laughs> so I need a lot to get the juices flowing. Keep it up, Rob. Uh, now let me just preface this by saying I did send Rob an article that I was asked to write, um, just a lay magazine article on pre-workouts and the, some of your different options. But having said that, uh, this sounds like a good one for both of us to banter about. So, Doctor Nelson, if you could make your own, what would you? How would you? Put together your own pre-workout. Yeah. So at a base, I would probably use a carbohydrate like Botargo or something that's absorbed pretty rapidly. Um, probably a faster whey protein, maybe even a hydrolyzed protein. Like we talked about on the, the show with Justin, it seems to be tolerated by more people. They're, you know, we got enough carbohydrates in there. It doesn't taste too horrible. Um, so the profile for that absorption is going to be a little bit faster. So you don't have to take them at different times. You can get into debate later about the kinetics, if it actually matters or not. But, um, caffeine, as you know, well, Lonnie, there's tons of data showing that that helps. Um, there's some pretty good data now on citrulline malate, but yeah, you probably need a pretty high dose. You're probably looking at 68 grams, probably somewhere in there, which is pretty high compared to what's in most pre-workouts. Um, after that, he had mentioned that he works out at night. So one thing I've been trying to play around with for a couple of years now is that if, you know, I lift at night once in a while, some, most of the time it's during the day. Um, but I've got clients and other people who lift at night. And if there's anything that can help performance at night, that's not like directly stimulatory yes. based, such as caffeine. Yeah. And what I've played around with lately is, uh, aniracetam which is a derivative of a paracetam oh, or mm -hmm. racetam nootropics, and then also alpha-GPC. So I've used uh, both of those just for myself, like about a quarter teaspoon of just the raw powder, and it definitely seems to help. There's not that much data at all on them for performance. There's yeah. a yeah, couple interesting studies on alpha-GPC, but mechanistic-wise, it kind of makes sense. Um, so that's what I've been using lately on just like the, the higher, let's say more performance-based days. So the days you're doing more of a, a max lift or things of that nature. And so far it seems to work. Um, if anyone else is using that, let me know. I haven't seen that necessarily as a combination in many pre-workouts yet. But uh, someone, if they do steal this idea, just, you know, hey. Give me some credit or send me some money so I can take a kiteboard vacation. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Yeah, I um, I automatically started thinking adequate caffeine, right? I mean, yeah. I've actually read reviews where they said regardless of what's in energy drinks, 
caffeine is the active ingredient and everything else is sort of superfluous really now i don't know about completely superfluous but the first thing is research is pretty clear you need five or six milligrams of caffeine per kg of body mass so that's a lot of caffeine for, so if he's a 300 pound dude what type of dose is that looking like for him for people listening in well let's see uh at 220, he would need 600 milligrams. So he would need three Vibrin if he weighed 220. Yeah. So he would probably need like four, you know, three and a half, four Vibrin. Uh, that's too much. I, that's at a some, lot. At some point, I think that <laughs> per kg, just like it does with um, some of those bench charts, you know, that predict your benching, that it breaks down in extremes. Yeah, and Rob. Uh, you know this will make you feel good, but you are officially extreme, brother, in, in, <laughs> in your size. So uh, trying to follow that five or six milligrams per kg might be unrealistic for you. So there's some other things that you can add. I actually like to add, if you want the herbal route, to be willow bark or just aspirin. Um, there's some indication that it may prolong some of the stimulant qualities, uh, like mm. the old you know, ephedrine, caffeine, aspirin stack that was so popular years ago. Um, Is that for pain tolerance a little bit too, Lonnie, or I, sort I of central effects maybe? Yeah, I think it's cellular as far as prolonging, you know, the, the cyclic AMP and keeping right. in, in the cell, everything in the cell kicking. Um, for me, yeah, it's also some of the, the analgesic stuff, yeah. Uh, single amino acids are neat to play with at different times of the day. Uh, single amino acids have pharmaceutical-like effects. And so, uh, like, for example, I've been playing lately with theanine, 100 oh, milligrams. Yeah. Um, that by itself is a relaxant, and I've actually consulted for companies in the end. I remember one guy was saying, why would you put that in a stimulant, you know, <laughs> in a pre-workout? And I, so I, I very silently, I didn't even argue with the guy, I just blasted him like six papers on theanine working to help with focus and concentration and that sort of thing. Uh, but because it's a relaxant by itself, it might be something neat to add if you're, if you're going to have a strong cup of coffee before you lift, you know, like at 6 p.m. or something. Um, you could do something similar. I mean, uh, Red Bull and a lot of energy drinks will do that with um, taurine. The amino acid, again, by itself has more relaxant type uh, qualities. Um, tyrosine, if you want to kick it up a notch, tyrosine, your body uses tyrosine to build uh, catecholamines, right? Um, epinephrine, norepinephrine, right? Adrenaline, noradrenaline, and dopamine. And um, at first I was very skeptical that, oh boy, you think I could just eat tyrosine and I would have more epinephrine? But I have done 24-hour um, urine collections uh, in the lab with supplements that contain tyrosine. And you do, in fact, get elevations in urinary um, it's called metaphrin. It's a metabolite of adrenaline. So if you what want to... What dose of tyrosine were you using, just out of curiosity? Because I found that it's generally relatively high. Mm. Yeah, I was pretty liberal with it. I can't remember offhand because uh, I'm not doing that now. I'm pretty yeah. much just filling around with the theanine now. But it is interesting in that it might kick up a notch, um, you know, your cup of coffee, for example. Like I said, yeah. just adding some I was of these putting it in my my coffee in a shaker bottle with like five to 10 grams for a while. And I Ooh. noticed I had to get up in the, at least a minimum of that range before I noticed much of an effect. Oh, so. wow. Yeah. Um, That's pretty high. <laughs> yeah. What I had tested was not that high. It, it certainly wasn't in a, you know, like five gram range, but 
there was also other things in that supplement. Yeah, you know, so. yeah. Anyway, uh, yeah, but single amino acids. One thing I would not fool around with would be creatine or beta alanine. These things probably yeah. work, for lack of a better way to put it, but they're more chronic supplementation as opposed to something that's going to happen in the next hour. I mean, beta alanine might make you tingle, but it's not going to do jack crap for making you move the bar any faster or for a few more reps right now, at least nothing that I've seen. I mean, you're talking about a month to saturate your tissues, you know, so uh, I wouldn't fool around with that stuff too much anyway. So maybe think about single amino acids. Um, if you have more specific questions about which ones, again, things like theanine or taurine might be more like mellow out the the harsh stimulant dose, even just the, the caffeine. Um, stuff like tyrosine would kick it up yet another notch. And Mike, you, you mentioned a couple of different nootropics. Um, there's a lot of them I've played with over the years, and I can't say uh, anything definitive. Like well, DMA, right? D M A E. Uh, there's a whole bunch yeah. of things that are supposed to be neuroactive. Even different blueberry extracts. I mean, there's some neat stuff out there. Um, I all I can say is this: I'm pretty darn sure there are different kinds of wired. <laughs> like if I oh, drink yeah. a cup of coffee, it's not the same feeling. Um, I remember the first time I had an energy drink. Kelly and I went to an all-night <laughs> <laughs> drive-in, and we drank we drank a, a big monster, uh, you know, one of those big giant ones. We split it, and I'm like, "This is not like caffeine." <laughs> so you know, I'm like razor focused on this movie. It's like three o'clock in the morning. You know, this is kind of funny, but so they yeah. do do different things to your nervous system. To me, it's it's like pain meds. You know, they some work in some way, certain ways. Some won't help at all for other conditions. But pain meds address. And again, I'm not a pharmacist, but they address pain, the pain mechanism through different approaches. And I think there's something very similar going on with the stimulants. So Yeah, and that's actually why I did the Monster Energy Drink study. It was part of my PhD, not necessarily caffeine per se, because the anecdotal reports were that, and I even tried it myself, and I felt like for the amount of caffeine that was in there, I had more of an energy bump than just taking that amount of caffeine. Yeah. Um, and at one point when I was designing the study, I even had a standardized, you know, caffeine arm and I had a diet arm and, oh, but the logistics of doing that. And then if you do that all as a randomized placebo controlled, you know, double blind, all the cool stuff, man, if one person drops out, then you have to basically cancel that whole, you know, right. their data from the study. Yeah. So you, you're asking subjects to come into the lab five or six times now, and it just got to be too yeah. too risky. And, but. you know, too, it's very difficult to compare some of these pre-workouts or energy drinks to, like, if you are if you want to say this is, this is no better than a caffeine tablet, it's right. actually very hard to do that because you might say, well, I'll make sure they have the same amount of caffeine. Well, that's not fair because the supplement also has, I don't know, green tea and tyrosine and right. taurine and, and, and. So how do you so the only way that I've ever been able to get around that is com, is actually commercially what is yep. considered one dose you know yeah uh, because yeah scientifically it's almost impossible to match those things for for really good comparisons so yeah um, okay we are almost out of time so I'm going to I'm going to table this one study that's in my hands it's about your gut microbiome uh, a new study came out about um, it's from Nature, so it's arguably the top tier journal around, and it's about p 
postbiotic interventions. It's really interesting stuff. Uh, but I'm going to put that aside now that I teased everybody. <laughs> and because we need to get to the protein study again, this is from Jarrett um, and John via Twitter. Um, this week on Twitter. There's also an email from John, so I'll read this. He says, hi, Lonnie. Uh, John from Madison. Never thought about the link to cancer and the usual warning about kidney failure in the article. Uh, maybe you could send them a copy of your protein book. Any thoughts? Happy holidays. <laughs> um, so uh, John sent me this New York, New York Times article um, by Ronnie, R-O-N-I, uh, Rabin. Can you get too much protein? And there are parts of this that I think are on on the mark and other parts that I, I'm just eye-rolling again. So, again, this got translated onto Twitter that, you know, here we go again, protein causes cancer kind of thing. And the fun thing is there's some really loose non-cause and effect speculation in here that it might. And then Stu Phillips, thank God they asked him. <laughs> <laughs> he kind of shut him down. <laughs> but so here it is. Now, let me just read some of the, the basics here. Can you get too much protein? Uh, it says, while some nutritionists have encouraged the protein craze, a number of experts are urging caution. Um, it says, um, they point out protein powders are a relatively new invention. Now, I'm not sure how uh, familiar Ronnie is with this, but yeah, <laughs> yeah. if new is 50 years. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say. Um, but it says the vast majority of Americans already get the recommended daily amount of protein for food. And that's true. I mean, but the RDA for protein is like 50 grams a day. You know, I and most of I us that get that in a meal. Dinner. Yeah. Yep. Uh, so, again, about this whole new thing, I don't know. It says, it's an experiment, says Dr. John Schwartzberg uh, from the University of California, Berkeley. Uh, no one can tell you what the results are going to be in people's bodies 10 or 15 years later. Although that's true. I would point to a lot of bodybuilders in their 70s, um, like from the Frank Zane era, for example. These guys do I, – I would love to do a study, right? In fact, when I was in grad school, Peter Lemon and I were thinking about rounding up a bunch of bodybuilders in their 70s who had used anabolic steroids, high-protein diets, whatever it is, and just look at their state of health because unlike the new group of guys that seem to be you know, so huge and burning out so fast – those old guys, you know, they would dabble with low-dose anabolics before a contest or they would take protein powder all the time. I don't know. Frank Zane's doing backflips, you know, so yeah. I, I don't know. And even cultures like the, you know, Inuits and other cultures that, granted, they didn't have a lot of carbohydrates, but, you know, their protein intake was generally pretty high and they've been doing that for decades and stuff yeah. too, so. That's true. So all, all this stuff about it being a new experiment with the human genome, I—, I I don't think so. I don't buy that. It says the average adult can achieve the recommended intake, which is 46 grams of protein a day for women and 56 for an average-sized man by eating moderate amounts of protein-rich foods. Um, it says retail sales of sports nutrition protein powders in the U.S. alone is projected to reach $9 billion by 2020, up from about $6.6 billion last year, and that's according to some research from Euromonitor International. So, oh, that's a big jump. That's a big jump. And I think some of this is, again, like um, Justin mentioned when he was on, uh, the plant-based proteins are getting very popular, yeah. uh, you know, that kind of stuff. I have heard in the past, 
this idea that casein in particular may cause prostate cancer. I think there's some documentary films about it. And there is some research that casein is a little bit weird for some of this. And I guess it makes sense on some level that if you increase protein synthesis, that could lead to tumor growth, just like it could lead to muscle growth. Uh, yeah. you know, I think that's kind of the general idea and that some proteins may be uh, worse for that maybe than others. Um, anyway, the article goes on. It says, I, I agree with the beginning of this paragraph and not the later sentence. You can eat 300 grams of protein a day, and that doesn't mean you'll put on more muscle than someone who e eats 120 grams a day. Now, I agree with that in many ways. Uh, I can't tell you how many people have came to me and said, Doc, I'm eating 300 grams a day. How come I'm not bigger? <laughs> like, well, you have expensive pee. That's why. You know, you're just <laughs> breaking it down. You know, you're urinating away all that nitrogen. Um, but what I don't agree with, and I don't know who this guy is, this expert, but meanwhile, you're robbing yourself of other micronutrients that the body needs, like whole grains, fruits, and vegetables. I would just like to point out whole what? grains, fruits, and vegetables are not nutrients. Those are, <laughs> those are <laughs> foods. Um, those are not macronutrients. So I, I'm not sure where he's coming from with that, but we have to be very careful not to confuse when it comes to protein. The food item versus the nutrient itself. I think that's why a lot of dietitians get themselves in trouble by saying high protein diets are high saturated fat diets, they're low yeah. fiber diets, because they're not thinking about the bodybuilder's high protein diet, which is a chicken breast and a bunch of green beans on the plate. They automatically assume a high protein diet is a Big Mac diet. And that's, that's again, it's, it's conflating the nutrient with the food. Yeah, that's a lot of the epi studies looking at higher meat intake, but then you look at the study and it was like, you know, very, very processed type meat too. So Yeah, even, well, you know how I used to, I, I still do at, at conferences, I'll go after people when they try to demonize red meat and I'll say, are you talking about hot dogs and bologna? Yeah. Or are you talking about <laughs> round steak from a grass-fed cow, right? Because not the same, <laughs> not the same. Um Anyway, uh, this goes on to say doctors have long cautioned that high-protein diet can lead to kidney damage. Here we go. Oh, jeez. <laughs> um, but at least it says in those who harbor silent kidney disease. Um, okay, uh, you know, maybe I'll give you that. I have seen some data that if you have both hypertension and diabetes, uh, that if it's fundamentally changed the tissues in your kidneys, then, yeah, I probably wouldn't put that person on a real high-protein diet. But it goes on to use the words like strain on the kidneys. And uh, let me just clarify to everybody, that's based on something decades ago called the Brenner hypothesis, which says that if you have higher glomerular filtration, in other words, more filtering of urine in your kidneys, then that stresses them and strains them. But anybody who lifts weights knows, of course, that if you put additional work on a tissue, it could also simply hypertrophy and deal with it as opposed to just automatically ruining it, right? I mean, when you do biceps curls, you don't tear your biceps. You don't ruin your biceps anyway. So that whole idea of extra strain, I, I think, is uh, frankly a little silly. You're asking a tissue to do what it does. Anyway, uh, and then it goes on, quote, perhaps even leading to an increased risk of cancer. Uh, mm. It talks about cells multiplying faster and um, there's an observational studies that have linked. Now, here we go, right? I love, <laughs> love this nonsense. Observational studies that link. Link is one of the biggest weasel words on the internet, right? Because it doesn't show cause and effect necessarily. It says one study led by this Walter Longo at this Longevity Institute 
said that people between the ages of 50 and 65 who ate uh, extra protein uh, were more like four times more likely to die of cancer than those who ate less protein. But then they go on about this guy. I don't know who Dr. Longo is. That was an epi is. study, I think, though, too, wasn't it? Uh, the founder of a company called El Nutra in Southern California. I I don't know. Um, again, it's it's certainly not cause and effect, and maybe it's it would be hard to get that sort of cause and effect sort of study, maybe in rodents. It says skeptics dismiss these. Um, observational, right? So these non-cause and effect things, however, and then Stu Phillips says, Dr. Stu Phillips, and we got to get Stu on the show. Yeah. Um, he's really fun to listen to as well. Um, oh, yeah. He, he says there's a distinction between what is absolutely minimally required, in other words, like the RDA, and a more optimal intake level. And I think that's been one of his mantras over the years is, the RDA is based on some bare minimums, and I'm not going to get into the factorial method and all the ways or ni old nitrogen balance studies or the way they used to do this, but a lot of isotopic studies do suggest the RDA might be minimal to prevent disease, for example, or you know, massive catabolism, but it's not optimal, and we do need to separate minimal from optimal. Uh, but then, again, maybe flailing around, uh, she goes on, the author uh, a consumer reports test of 15 protein powders back in 2010 said that they found arsenic, lead, cadmium, and mercury in some of the products. Mm. Well, again, some. Yeah, uh, which ones? <laughs> right? Isn't that the crux of it? So, like, for example, I would argue some of the bigger companies that have a lot to lose, I can all but guarantee you you're not going to find heavy metals or other contaminants in some of these, the big boy stuff. Is it rarely happening? Sure, I'm, sh I'm sure it does. Does it happen often with fly-by-night companies? Yeah, it probably does. But if you go to some of the bigger, more reputable companies, and there's a ton of them out there, Now, um, Optimum, Ultimate Nutrition, the Biotest guys make good stuff. Um, you can just go down this huge list. EAS, I don't always like what they do with their proteins, but I highly doubt it's contaminated. Yeah. Uh, so... Everything from cancer to contamination to kidney strain is in this piece, and it just won't go away. And the reason that re this really lit me up, and I know we're over time here, is that locally, our, our local CBS channel, Channel 19, wrote a, uh, ran a piece, quote-unquote, warning women who are using protein for weight control against high-protein diets. Oh, no. Oh, boy. <laughs> So what are they supposed back to, to eat? Square one again, <laughs> right? Oh, I know, right? So to me, this is sort of like uh, there are certain science arguments in schools, and I'm not going to go into some of these different ones about you know evolution and other things, but um, it's an ongoing. Um, you just have to be vigilant, you know. It's an ongoing test because this stuff keeps resurfacing. I wouldn't think, after what the science has clearly shown about benefits to bone density, no risk to you know healthy kidneys, et cetera, et cetera, that we would still keep seeing this crap. Uh, but again, that's what happens. Sometimes you'll get some of these journalists, even in some, somewhere like the New York Times, and they're sort of pulling quotes, and it, it, it's not necessarily a balanced investigation, I think. so. Yeah, is it one of those things that Lou Schuler calls the zombie myth? Like the myth that just never wants to seem to die. <laughs> <laughs> Good. Yeah, that's exactly it. So, 
Um, it, my estimation, like I said, is that there is some weird stuff about casein and, and when I had a student come by my office, he saw a documentary in another class and he's like, oh my God, milk is milk causes prostate cancer. And I'm like, I understand there's some real studies. I said, you're a young man. You, you need high quality protein and some of those other nutrients like vitamin D that are, you know, uh, fortified in that milk. Don't panic. <laughs> Don't panic. You know? Yeah. And plus, if it was really that bad. We'd have some pretty impressive data showing that it's that bad for, you know, how much milk is consumed in the U.S. Yeah. I did hear a quote last year that really shocked me. There was a guy, I think he's an NIH researcher. He was from India, and he was saying, why would anybody drink something as unhealthy as cow's milk? And it made me almost think that there are cultural issues at work here. You know, to, like to mm. him, there's probably a lot of healthy things you could eat in your diet, and you wouldn't have to do that. Um, but I don't know, because like you said, I don't see a... A consensus in the literature that milk causes cancer you know so anyway it can be confusing but let's face it i mean the more you live the faster you will die <laughs> as a general <laughs> principle so if you want to be big and i mean you, you can live to be 120 meek and you know atrophied or you can eat some freaking protein and you know exercise and try to put it to work and shuttle it to the muscles that need it and that sort of thing and I, that's not a very scientific conclusion, but that's sort of how I look at it. I would always err on the side of what is a better function you can perform, and you're probably going to be better off. Yeah. Yep. All right. Well, thanks, everybody. That actually ended up being a full episode. We just had so much stuff. I yeah. had to table it. So uh, have a good holiday, everybody, and I guess we will see. Let's see. Will it be the new year by next week? It might be. So, or at least, well, no, possibly. I think it'll be New Year's Eve uh, next episode. So, uh, we'll see you then. Hey, listeners, have you seen the store at ironradio.org? There are three halls in the store one for Phil, one for Fortress, and one for myself, Dr. Lowry. And they're thematic. So you can go into our Halls of Iron store and choose based on your goal. If you need something to learn or read or something nutritional, you can look in my store, uh, Lonnie's store. If you want something about injury prevention uh, or competition, then take a look at Phil's Hall of Iron. And if you want something about motivation or daily training, Fortress's Hall has what you're looking for. There are some fun heroic descriptors uh, as you browse through the stores. We try to make it a little more fun than the average boring online store. And whether you're a novice lifter or someone more experienced, you can take heart that you're not wasting your time. The things that we put in each hall of iron are actually based on our own recommendations. Protein powders that we know to be good, uh, knee sleeves, wraps of some kind things that Fortress uses in his own training. Uh, the stuff you, you see, you know is good. This way you don't waste time. So check out the Iron Radio store at ironradio.org and um, let us know what you think on the forums and certainly you can request products and we will uh, screen them before they go in. So thanks for listening. Iron Radio is accepting donations. If you like what we do, the professors, the scientists, the bodybuilding show promoters, the athletes themselves in powerlifting and bodybuilding, um, 
please consider making a donation or maybe buying something from the ironradio.org uh, store. Uh, we also are accepting supporting members. So for $4 a month, which is frankly less than the bank sneaks out of your account in fees, you can step up and support a form of sort of public radio for the bodybuilding and powerlifting and strength community. The Iron Radio Podcast and all of the audio on ironradio.org is for informational purposes only. If you're interested in starting a diet or exercise program, it's important to check with your physician. Also seek the help of registered dietitians, athletic trainers, and qualified exercise physiologists in order to make the progress that you need.